0: Of real and cyberspace, there's one place you can go, and you've found it. Welcome to season 16, episode 2 of the Nightwise.com podcast. Producer KD Murray here again, pushing some buttons and turning some dials for this season of the Nightwise.com podcast. Happy to be back here with everybody for another season of tech goodness. This week, Nightwise takes us on a walk at dawn through the Belgian countryside for a bit of a chat about retro computing. So without further ado, I'll throw this over to Nightwise somewhere in a Belgian farmer's field.
1: On the edge of real and cyberspace, there's one place you can go and you found it. Welcome to the Nightwise.com podcast today. um, Coming to you from outside. It's 6.30 in the morning. I'm on a little morning walk and I decided to take my podcasting rig with me. And record a little show for you guys and girls. As I'm walking through the fields behind my house, it's absolutely beautiful here. The place is teeming with life, so you might hear a lot of birds and even some woodpeckers in the background. Uh, but it's it's absolutely beautiful here. And it's perfect to podcast, because, well, there's nobody here. <laughs> so, what I wanted to talk to you guys about today is retro computing. about the... Um, the technologies of yay old days past that you can still embrace today to learn stuff and to have fun now one of the reasons i got interested into retro computing is a because i'm a digital dumpster diver as you all know i mean if i see a computer lying discarded by the side of the road or thrown away in a dumpster somewhere and it might still be of use i cannot resist i have to you know Rescue it and repair it and donate it, but sometimes when those machines are really, really old, I end up with a retro system, so I need to have some retro skills and playing around with retro tech is just fun. I mean, with the lockdown these days and um, the fact that you know we had a lot of spare time on our hands. I wanted to have a hobby that took me away from the digital drive and the speed of the modern-day internet, and that would kind of take me back to the days of yea old, when stuff was different, when somehow the pace of life and the pace of technology wasn't that fast. So I started to play around with retro computing, and, you know, looking for something that is not as fast and high-paced as the modern-day technology uh, around us is one of the great reasons to get into retro technology. Retro machines are slow, and they're not as powerful. So the pace of interacting with them slows down. A lot of time is spent waiting for a system. I remember my Commodore 64 days and my data recorder, my little tape drive with games on them, and how I have spent hours of my life just basically waiting for the game to load. And that time that you wait is also a very interesting time. So it it helps you slow down, it helps you focus. And focusing is something that retro machines also help you do, because basically, they don't have the CPU power to distract you. <laughs> there is no possibility to run 25 browser tabs at the same time. There is no option to um, run a game and Word and a browser and God knows what. There is no CPU power or not even connectivity for messages to come in and distract you. So there's a there's a lot of focus there. It's like, you know, your little yoga moment, where you sit down in front of a retro machine and just focus on what you're doing. What I've also found playing around with retro computers to be is very educational. Back in the days, computers weren't as easy as they are today. I mean, today, stuff just works. You know, you power up your iPad and it just works. And you buy a laptop and you boot it up and it just works. wasn't like that in the old days. I got into computers in the late 90s and I remember learning everything, having to learn everything about the autoexec.bat file, about the config.sys, about um, IRQs and settings in the BIOS, because I needed to know these things in order for my hardware and my software to play together. And a nice side effect of that was that I knew why stuff worked. And how stuff worked. And these days, computers, and it's a good thing, I guess, are more of an appliance. But you miss the educational part of understanding the technology underneath that digital platform you're working on. So if you have younglings of your own, you might interest them in retro computing as well, because Aside from pure nostalgia from us old guys, for them it might also be a very interesting way to learn about uh, technology and about how technology works and where it comes from. So those are all valid reasons to play around with retro computers, but you know, one of the major one is that it's fun. So I'm going to give you um the absolute essentials to get into retro computing are what you should think about and you should keep in mind when you want to take your digital life into a time machine and warp it back in time. The best way to start with retro computing is using the modern day computer that you have. Because quite frankly, that thing is an absolute powerhouse. The CPU is insanely powerful. There's a lot of RAM in there. It can easily run one, two, even three operating systems at the same time. And, well, quite frankly, especially if those operating systems are from back in the day, they require a lot less CPU power. So what used to be a very, I don't know, resource-intensive Windows 95 install on a Pentium 75 with eight megs of RAM is now nothing more than, uh, I don't know, an application that's about as memory intensive as Notepad on your your modern-day machine. So your modern-day machine is ideal to start to play around with retro software. And there are two main ways that you can go. The first one is virtualization, where you basically virtualize um, another operating system on top of your existing operating system. So that's not really that hard. I talked about VMs before. You can run modern day VMs on your machine to try out new operating systems, but you can also use it to run classic operating systems. So your modern day Intel machine might be very, very capable using software like, for example, VirtualBox, To run Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows 3.1, it kind of depends. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It kind of depends on the CPU architecture that you have and whether or not the old system that you're trying to run (coughs) can still somehow recognize itself in the existing virtual machine. But using a VM to (coughs) install an older operating system is fun. But there are some challenges here. One of the things that you have to consider is the fact that, first, you need your old operating system. Enter the Internet Archive. Um, I'm going to reference the hell out of these guys, because they are the source of everything that you're looking in, uh, into when it comes to retro computing. <clears throat> if you want to learn more about them, Uh, Check out Jason Scott and his podcast, Jason Scott Talks His Way Out of It. He's a curator at the Internet Archive, and his podcast is always about technology of the old days and how he preserves that technology in the Internet Archive. And the Internet Archive, therefore, is a gigantic source of retro software. So if you need those installation disks of that retro OS, let's say you want to run Windows 98 Gold Edition again, well, just go to the Internet Archive and start looking. The chances are that you will find a copy with the serial without uh, any hitch, and it will just work. The downside is that when you install this in a VM, that VM needs to be able to also support the hardware. So but you say like what well, nightwise there is no hardware. Well in a VM the hardware is indeed virtualized, but it's still there. If you install a naked copy of Windows 95 or Windows 98 into a VM, it's still gonna be looking for drivers. But now this video card that it needs to install isn't uh, a physical card but it's a virtual card but you need drivers for that sometimes these drivers are hard to find and in retro computing that's going to be your major challenge looking for drivers to get your hardware to interact with your software Um, luckily there are quite a few um, ready-made virtual machine images out there that allow you to do just that. They will have a prepackaged virtual machine that you can just download and install, and it will have all the VirtualBox drivers installed ready to go. So look around on the archive for those virtual machine images so you don't have to start out from scratch. I mean, um, getting a physical copy of a Windows 95 or 98 disk, you might still have it lying around. Then it's great, you can just install it bare metal, as they say, on your virtual machine. But you will need all the drivers and all the shenanigans. If you get a ready-made virtual machine, all of those drivers will be already installed and everything will just work, and you can start playing around with it now. What you do have to consider when you are working with a virtual machine that has everything pre-installed is this was made by somebody else, so I wouldn't trust it with my life. But you know, you never know how the system was configured. Does it have a backdoor? Um, do you care? <laughs> Why should it? Uh, does it have a, a, a stupid virus that that deletes the data after three weeks? Pff, it might, but then you just reinstall the VM. But what I was just trying to say, when you take a ready-made VM off of the net somewhere, please make sure that you don't put anything that is, you know, even remotely important on there, um, because, you know, you never know how trustworthy it is. The other thing that you can do is emulation, where you use software to kind of pretend it's other software it's kind of like a virtual machine but different and a great way to um, give you an example about that is of course retro pi retro or emulation station or retro arch these are all kind of uh, uh, the same thing in different packages but it's a an application that you can install you can install a retroarch just on your linux system or even on windows i have to check or you can take a ready-made operating system that is for the raspberry pi and that allows you not only to emulate all of these classic machines like game consoles but also there's like a, a commodore there and there's an amiga there but um also play the games of ye old on them. And it comes in a ready-made package. So that is also a great way to get into retro computing, especially when it comes to games. You can even emulate some things online. If you take a look at the Internet Archive, they actually have emulators that run in the browser. I know it's crazy, right? But because our browsers and our computers are so powerful these days, I mean... Chrome eats up so much memory so you, you can do stuff with that. So like, for example, run a, a classic operating system in your browser. The downside, of course, here is that if you know if you close it, it's just gone. But it's also a really nice way to start dabbling into all of that. For me, um, I have been collecting not only uh, quite a few operating system images, because I not only have been browsing the Internet Archive, I also got the CD-ROM and DVD-ROM collection from my father-in-law, which is this massive, massive collection of, well, mostly pirated software that is still sitting around on uh, hundreds of uh, DVDs and CDs in my little attic in my little man cave. So I wanted to access this uh, this data and play around with all these apps and these, uh, these applications and these CDs. So that's why I needed uh, some retro machines. So what I did is I um, went uh, to the Internet Archive and I downloaded a couple of ready-made Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows 2000, Windows NT machines just because I could. And then I hooked up an external CD-ROM drive because you know, our computers these days don't have a CD-ROM drive anymore, and just started firing away. And it was really fun. Because that's, that might also be one of the reasons that I forgot to mention why you would like to get into retrocomputing. You might want to salvage data. I mean, we have so many Uh, applications that we used over the years and maybe we created files and stuff with them that are no longer accessible in modern day operating systems in modern day um, applications. So you might need a retro uh, machine to access that data and unlock that data and become your own digital Indiana Jones. When it comes to this software the things that you need to consider is that when you do a bare metal install installing the iso onto a virtual machine you might need those drivers. Now when it comes to things like VirtualBox because it's a hardware it's a it's a controlled virtual software environment it's quite easy to find those drivers. It takes some looking around but you can find virtual box video drivers for windows 98 windows 95 windows 2000 what have you so that's not really an issue <clears throat> then or when you want to go the different route and download the ready-made virtual machines also not a problem they will have the drivers pre-installed but a little word of caution there because you do not have a hundred percent a uh, circle of trust with uh, the person who made that ready-made OS for you. But it's a great way to try it out. Then you need of course software, and software is abundant on the Internet Archive. You do not only find the operating systems, but you also find tons and tons of um, applications uh, out there, which are amazingly fun to play with. and. Um, most of these apps, I don't know if it's legal to download them, but I, I don't know if in some cases there's even anybody left to sue you. But it's it's very, gr- it's very nice to play around with them. I've played around with older versions of, like, for example, Photoshop or Word, uh, you know, going back to Word 95 and stuff, just because I could, and just because it's also very um, it's very interesting to see how software has has evolved over time so i found that very interesting to to play around with and again your source for software you might want to go the pirated way but you don't even have to do that anymore because quite frankly um you can just download whatever you want off the internet archive and install it on your virtual machine (coughs) now (laughs) getting stuff there is not always easy. You know, we are so used to, you know, I have a USB stick here, I'll just jam that in, and oh, no, look at that. Um, My virtual machine might not support USB, or it might take a little bit of uh, effort getting a very simple plug-and-play USB stick mounted on your old hardware. Now, there are ways in virtual machine technology that make this easier, when we get into the hardware side, it will become even harder. I mean, how do you get data on a machine that doesn't have uh, support for USB? Uh, uh, network? Okay, try getting a network card up and running. That's that's an option. You can set up a Samba share somewhere and access that via your virtual machine if you get it connected to the network. Um, that's a possibility. Or sometimes uh, what I had to do, I had to burn a disc, which I hadn't done in ages, just to get the software on there. And these are one of the great things about playing around with this technology. It's like, you, you, you know, you're, you're playing around with it and you go like, oh yeah, I've got this and on and on there. And then, oh wait, that, that didn't work back then. We didn't have Bluetooth file transfer. We didn't have uh, AirDrop. We didn't have USB support. How the hell do we do this? So that's the great thing about it. It's sometimes very frustrating to do very simple things, and you really have to think back and puzzle, like, how am I going to do this? But as I said, to get data on your retro machine, a network connection might be interesting. Make sure to take, to not take those machines on the internet, please, because they have they're not supported, they're not patched, and they will get infected almost immediately. You can try, by the way, to get on the internet i would uh, highly recommend giving it a spin taking uh, internet explorer 3.0 onto a modern day website it will totally not work but um it's also not a good idea to take them online that one that's when it uh, that that's the the software part you know just using emulation or using virtualization to play around with stuff to get an os onto a virtual machine to get an application on that OS and to also get data on that OS and work with that OS. Great way to play around with it. I've installed a Windows 95 machine uh, with all the apps, you know, with the Office 95 and with um, Larry in the Land of the Lounge Lizards and with WordPerfect. And it's this little bubble that I can boot up whenever I want to and play around with. I will have it with me all the time. It's great but it's still lacking something. You want to take it maybe one step further, and that one step further is by going full metal jackets, by going full on and doing, well, retro machine experiences on retro machine hardware. And that's something I'm going to talk about in the next part. You can go and look at retro computers, YouTube videos and stuff, on the Internet. You can try running your own by using a virtual machine or an emulator. And you can go one step beyond. You can actually use old hardware to run those machines and make your retro experience complete. That is what I have been doing with a couple of systems that I have been collecting. Not only getting the software to work, but also getting the hardware and getting the hardware to work. Now, not easy, but very rewarding. Well, one, there is the experience that you get of hunting down a piece of nostalgia. So let's say you want to get into retro computing, Pick a system. Pick, I don't know, a Mac or a Windows machine or a very specific type of hardware. Maybe you want a ThinkPad or maybe you want an iMac or maybe you want, I don't know, a a classic IBM XT or looking for a 486. Maybe you want to capture one part of your digital past and, you know, bring it back into your life. Well, I got to say, I had a lot of fun with this. I have been collecting classic machines, um, very specific classic machines, for the last couple of months now. I have a little wish list. Uh, I, would, I wanted to have an iMac G3 Bondi Blue with OS9. I managed to get my hands on one. I wanted to have an iMac G4, uh, the little umbrella model, with OS X. I found that one. I also got an old uh, G5 iMac without an eyesight camera um, in the in the, in the works, so that was nice. So I have this little uh, I don't know um, collection of of old Macs lying around. But I also have um, an older PC, and here I have a very specific mission. I used to work in the computer store back in 1998, 99. And my very first computer was a Pentium 75, uh, with 8 gigs of RAM. Uh, yeah, gigs? No, megs! Ha! 8 megs of RAM. And I think um, a 750 meg hard drive? Ah, it's, it was even less. It wasn't a gig. Come oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, some, yeah se- 750 meg or something. Uh, with an s3 video card and it had a very specific beige tower and it was made by a local computer company where i worked um a couple of years later which was bell's computers and i still remember the case and i still remember how it looked so my mission has been to get that machine back so i have been looking for um that exact machine, and it's become my holy grail. I have been looking second hand sites around the region to see if I might not stumble across one of these machines and kind of reconstruct my very first PC. That is one of the great things when you play around with the hardware, of course, is collecting the hardware. That is always fun to do. It is kind of like hunting around. It is not as easy as shopping online. You really have to look for things, but it is nice. It's nice. And you also meet a lot of interesting people when you buy these old machines and you get to haggle and stuff. So I like that. But once you got your machine in the house, well, then it's time to start. No, 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 no. First of all, you start cleaning out the machine and cleaning up the machine, especially during COVID days. Make sure it's nicely disinfected. And there are a lot of YouTube tutorials out there that tell you how to really get the... I don't know the classic shine for some of these machines back you know a lot of these beige boxes have yellowed with age uh, a lot of macs become especially the imacs become very brittle and if you want to clean them up uh correctly it's sometimes a little bit of a, of a mission but i love doing that i got my hands on uh i don't know a power mac g3 Bondi blue I'm um, Just taking the case apart and taking everything out and cleaning everything up and putting everything back in. That was like, you know, Legos, uh, a lot of fun to do. But it's important that your machine is clean. Then you need to start it up. Now be careful. A lot of these electronic components over the years have not aged well. Especially two things, the BIOS batteries, they kind of tend to leak out and uh, spill their acid onto the motherboard, sometimes making the computer completely unusable. or they um, <clears throat> they just don't work anymore. You need to replace them because otherwise the BIOS doesn't remember what time of uh, day it is. but if you kind of tell it's1t21, some of these machines might get a heart attack, I don't know. <laughs> And the other thing is the condensators in your power supplies. Now what do these things do? They take the um, main power from the wall socket, which is, uh, depending on where you are, 110 or 220 volts, and turn it into 5 and 12 volts. These things don't always age well. Well, what am I saying? Sometimes they just blow up. So tip number one. If you, are, if you purchased a, a second-hand machine or you found one, especially if you found one, make sure it didn't get wet and uh, it isn't corroding. Make sure that you don't shock yourself when you're plugging it into the mains or that it doesn't blow up or that it doesn't burn your house down. One of the things I always do is I let a retro machine that I buy run for 24 hours attended. Never unattended, so I'd, I give it a little bit of a burn in cycle so I know that the hardware is reliable. And even then, I would highly recommend not to leave a retro machine running unattended. You never know, these parts, as I said, they don't age well. But once you've got your machine up and running and everything is you know powered up, it kind of depends. Maybe it's pre installed and everything's there, so you can just start cleaning up the uh, operating system, removing old data, and making room for your own little retro uh, experience. Or maybe it doesn't come with anything. Maybe you had to swap out the hard drive. Well, tough. Then you have to start all over again. And then it becomes kind of tricky. Depending on what you have, maybe you have a PC, maybe you have a Mac. If you have a Mac it's a little bit easier, but especially when you have a PC. Getting your hands on an old PC, finding some old components, putting them all in there, uh, installing the operating system, maybe Windows 95, 98, DOS, I don't know. Uh, Sometimes you have the issue that in order to make the hardware work, you need the drivers and these are very hard to come by cuz a lot of companies they just don't have the you know they don't have any incentive to keep uh, an ftp server running with the windows 95 drivers for i don't know an s3 video card and that might just be the driver that you need so one of the tips that i have for you is make sure you don't have very exotic hardware that's hard to come by one of the things that i found Uh, especially challenging when i was playing around with my old pc is i had an old elite group mainboard with built-in um audio and video now the type of the hardware is always or hopefully always listed on your uh your your chips you know so take a very good look at the hardware inside your machine take out the video card take out the sound card make sure that you have not only the the brand but also the model and this is true for your graphics card your sound card your network card and of course also your main board because that's also going to need some drivers so make sure you write all those names down do this during the cleaning process then you have all your hardware out and you're not stuck with a torch uh, with a torchlight in your case trying to read out very small letters so just you know um, take out all the components and take f- pictures with your smartphone of all of the chips so you have a listing of the hardware that you need and then Google's your friend, just go for it. Just go Google it and see if you can find it. You might not always find it. As I said, I had this great elite board mainboard that would take me back to an AMD, uh, I think K6, I'm not really sure anymore. Um, and it had built-in graphics and a built-in uh, sound card. But for the life of me, I could not find hardware drivers for that mainboard anymore. And that is so sad because sometimes your hardware might be perfect, but you can't find the drivers. So take pictures of all of your components, write down the brand, the type, and go Google it. Once you have your drivers, there is always the challenge of getting your drivers onto your classic machine. So maybe you need to burn a CD-ROM. Maybe you still have a USB floppy drive, I don't know, um, or a disk drive um, to get them on there. Um, But if you have the drivers and if you find them, keep, you know, keep them close. Keep them close so you just, you know, are sure that you'll never ever lose them again. One of the things that you can do after you installed your operating system and your drivers is to take a copy of the hard drive. You can, I don't know, take, um, uh, use an app like Clonezilla or something, or basically just um, do a dd copy of the drive by attaching your old drive to your new machine and then copying over the data so you always have an image. Should anything go wrong, you can just put that image back. It's a backup. It's not going to eat a lot of hard drive space on your new machine anyway. But it's kind of to preserve everything. And then, of course, it's time to put on the software. So go online, Google all of the uh, or Internet Archive all of the things that you want to download or you, that you want to play with, and start installing and playing away with it. Um, it's really fun to see older versions of of software uh, like they were back in the day. And sometimes I found that working on an old version of uh, word was even more rewarding than using the modern day um, hyper fast one with tons of distractions. So there is a lot to be experienced uh, when you are doing that. So those were my little takes on what I would suggest when you start playing around with retro hardware and retro software. I will close up with a little story of what I have been doing in one of my retro projects, so you might get some inspiration from that. The project that I have been working on uh, and that I have had the most success with in my retro adventures is the restoration of my G4 iMac. I have been talking to uh, our next door neighbor who is an older man who used to work for the local water company and he is responsible for the little community hall uh, behind our house. Now as a volunteer I helped out a little bit with their IT infrastructure and we got talking about older computers. I said like, yeah, i love to dumpster dive uh, <laughs> and bring back some old machines and and I'm looking currently looking for for some classic machines. And this guy says like, well, if if you want to, you can come by. I, I have some old hardware lying around and I'm going to take it to the recycling center. And I said like, well, you know, come and take a look. So I Drive over to his house, and lo and behold, there is um, this collection. It was a G5 iMac without the eyesight. It was a G3 iMac, uh, Bondi Blue, and two G4 Umbrella iMacs. All in perfect condition. He wasn't using them anymore. He didn't need them anymore. And he said, "Just take them." And I was, I was ecstatic. You know, it was it was so much fun loading them in and and bringing them home. My wife went like, "Oh my god!" But um, some of these things are just beautiful. One of the things that I wanted to uh, achieve was making a little retro machine that I could, you know. Hide away. <laughs> so, I've been installing. Um, I started out with the um, iMac G4. So I plugged it in. I cleaned it up. I started it up. It was still working, and I backed up all the data because that's the only uh, prerequisite, uh, the only demand that the owner had. Could you please get all of the pictures of my kids off of there so I can use them on my modern day computer so of course I, I said I'll, I'll do that so I just backed up all this data and then I had the machine and it was nice it was running OSX and I decided I would do something different I wanted to go for an OS 9 install okay went on to uh, the internet archive but I didn't find a lot of Mac hardware and sorry Mac software there but what I did find was a link to the macgarden.com I'll put the links in the show notes and on MacGarden.com I found this beautiful collection of all the Apple software that you want. So I decided to go for the latest version of OS 9 and installed that. At least I thought I was going to do that. So I thought like all right how do you install this? Yeah, USB disk? Oh yeah, no no no, you know no bootable USB stick. Um, Can I hook up a USB disk and uh, boot it from there? No. OK. I'll need a CD-ROM. OK. CD-ROM, CD-ROM, CD-ROM. It took me a while to find uh, a box of empty CD-ROM still lying around somewhere. I still had a USB CD-ROM drive and I burned uh, the ISO. Heh. At least that's what I thought. Because one of the tricks that you need to think about is that these CD-ROMs, you know, this is old tech, and if you burn a CD-ROM on maximum speed, like 52 speed or something, 52x, it's not even going to be readable by your old machine. So if you have to burn your ISOs to disk, make sure you burn them at the lowest possible speed. We're talking old technology here, people. So I got that working, and I managed to get OS 9 working on there and since then i have been going through a little bit of a retro phase where i decided to install all the games from lucas arts so x-wing fighters uh, dark forces tie fighter uh, i have a couple of them on there and i have a couple of older star trek games like star trek harbinger uh, running on there and i gotta say it is absolutely beautiful to work with this machine it's great to, for play, but it's also great for work, because one of the upsides that I noticed when I wanted to uh, connect that machine to my local network, I thought like, you know, maybe I can, I don't know, uh, uh, use um, um, a terminal on there and connect to my Linux system or stuff like that it would be cool, but you know, it doesn't work. SSH doesn't work anymore because all of the keys have changed and you know taking this machine online is a, a terrible experience. So pretty soon I found out that this is a standalone computer. Oh great, this is a standalone computer. That means that if I have something on here, it's only on here and I have no distractions, I have nothing interrupting me, I just get stuff done. And that was one of the things that i found very very rewarding is somehow i now have this little corner where i can sit and do things on and i'm not distracted by the internet or by facebook or by a a ton of things to do i'm just there and the files are on the hard drive i do have a backup of course and it helps me really focus. So I've been doing some writing on that machine. And aside from the fact that the whine from the hard drive is quite soothing and the clickety-clack of the keyboard is very cool, and the small resolution screen doesn't give you the space to run two applications side by side, sure, the machine's slow, but also I managed to slow down as well. I managed to focus. I managed to sit behind there and do my thing. So it's a little bit of an escape from the modern day internet, and I come full circle to the beginning of the episode. It's a great way to let technology work for you, even if that technology is not hyper fast anymore. It's been a great experience for me to not only challenge myself and remember how I used to do things and why things work, but also to slow down, enjoy and embrace the fun of retro computing
0: and that's all the time we have this week on the nightwise.com podcast season 16 episode 2 going retro this week we got a bit of a retro sounding podcast with nightwise out in the world instead of in the studio to give us some ideas on how to go about engaging in some retro computing love. I, for one, don't have any neighbors with basements full of Macs, at least, I don't think I do, but I do know that I've got access to a very old retro machine back at my dad's place, and this has got me wondering if it's finally time to go boot it up and see if it still runs. If you've got retro computing stories or any other feedback, we would love to hear from you. The best way to join in the conversation is to hop on the Discord and hang out with the rest of the wise guys. A link for that will be in the show notes. Speaking of which, we've got a number of links that Nightwise talked about in the show today and as always those are going to be over on the post for the episode at nightwise.com. Remember, retro's not always old. So maybe you can get some classic technology to work for you. I said it the other way around. You have been listening to the nightwise.com podcast. The show with hacks, tips and tweaks for cross-platform geeks. Send your feedback, questions, or start your own personal flame war by contacting us directly on feedback at nightwise.com. You can support the show by sharing it with your friends or writing us a nice iTunes review at www.nightwise.com forward slash iTunes. If you have some credits to spend, click the PayPal button on the nightwise.com website to help us pay the bills. Just remember, there is real life outside cyberspace. But it's not all that important.